1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here On the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We get on the air each weekend, and and for many years that's been the case uh, because of the engineering skills of Alan Dempsey. He's a good one. He's a good one. And and, uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show. Cindy Mullet is our guest. She's in Brevard, North Carolina, part of a touring singing family. But we're going to talk about her book, From Pain to Purpose, Rediscovering Joy After Suffering a Major Loss. Cindy, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well.
3: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to, to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: Why was it important to write this book, Cindy?
3: You know, we have our personal journey. Um, we have just, our family realized just the importance of, of um what happens when we face these difficult times in our lives? And I think, as a whole, we as a body of Christ don't always know how to uh, minister to those who are hurting, and how to really truly weep with those who are weeping, and and just to be able to have a tool to help not only the person who is experiencing loss and devastation in their lives, but also for those who are just wondering, you know, what can I do to walk along this person? How can I best the love of Jesus to this to this person who's hurting
2: uh, at the beginning of your book you uh, you have a couple of interesting little chapters there in the intro I can't let go and then mm-hmm. how long will this grief journey take uh, tell us about that introduction
3: yes well you know our our own journey um, started off just like very much with with a bang, and I guess I'll just, you know, briefly share uh, what happened to us. We were newly married, and our five-month-old uh, son, who we thought was healthy, very suddenly uh, became very, very ill, and mm. he was five months old when we realized that he was going to need a heart transplant, mm. and it was just very, very unexpected. We had never been familiar with the whole hospital world, and uh, but little did we know that You know, the next 15 years, it was just like every year we were facing another new battle and uh, loss in our life that Austin ended up having the heart transplant when he was eight months old. And then our second daughter, Brianna, was born. She was healthy. They felt it was a virus that attacked Austin's heart and nothing that we'd have to worry about, you know, other children. And then with Brianna being healthy, it confirmed their theory. Then when our daughter, our third child, Alicia, was born, mm. she also developed the same dilated cardiomyopathy when she was three months old. And at that point, um, we knew it was something genetic, didn't know for sure. And then it was like Austin was five years old. He had the first very deadly cancer It uh, was clear throughout his body. By the time they found out, they had given him like three weeks to live unless he would respond to the chemotherapy. He had the second cancer at age six. He had his second heart transplant when he was 16 and then leading up to his death eight months after the second transplant. And then our daughter, Alicia has struggled with a lot of chronic allergies at one point. She looked like a burn victim and she was exposed. We had black mold in our bus that we didn't realize. And so we've actually been home the last two years trying to get her through this, this experience But you know, finding and realizing when Austin passed away and just realizing, you know, we had experienced many losses over the years, but we were not prepared to deal with this. And, and, you know, we just came to the realization that we are each of us are building our lives around something. I mean, it can be good things like relationships and, you know, our job or money, positions, people. But if our relationship is not Jesus Christ, You know, all those things can be stripped from us, like as we see in the story of Job. But if our security is not based on the Lord Jesus Christ, like the center of our life literally just, you know, falls apart, falls away. And so we have just been through the years we have come to realize just, you know, Jesus in a much more personal way and um, just realizing, you know, he is there. He wants to show us that he is there. During our darkest, darkest times in our lives, and that's what our prayer has been for our, for this book. That you know, it, it's not um, it's a, it, it's a tool for people to use on their journey with grief and to to walk alongside with others who are grieving.
2: My guest, <clears throat> and uh, she's in Brevard, North Carolina, Cindy Mullet. Uh, section one of your book, there is comfort for you to receive. What a broken heart needs, a backlog of hurts. Uh, tell us about Section One.
3: Yes. Um, you know, we, we've, because we are involved in the prison ministry, and so we have walked alongside with many men and women who are incarcerated, and we hear a lot of their stories and a lot of brokenness in their lives as well. And, you know, pain is. The universal language, and we can all identify in some way, you know, to pain. Um, but we have we've found that when there are, we call it complicated grief, um, when there are losses in our lives, even losses as you know, a child, um, things like that that happen to us, and, and if if there's not proper healing that takes place, then it's like it just becomes a backlog of hurts that we experience in our lives. And so we have personally found in our own lives, you know, as we have been able to find healing for some of those painful events, um, we've had somebody that truly cared and understood for those feelings, then it's not like we have all these triggers. And because whenever there's these triggers and this unresolved grief, then there's, you know, there's just, there can be addictions, um, just all kinds of things that um, just end up Becoming big triggers in our lives, and so we just felt like it's important to go to some of those hurts, those painful areas in our lives, find that healing, so that you can better uh, process when new painful events enter our lives.
2: I want to move now, uh, Cindy. Cindy Mullard is our guest. Cindy, let's move to uh, section two. Mm-hmm. There are promises for you to claim. God, don't you care? Facing the guilt and regrets of our loss, the power to live in the present, facing the good and not so good about our loved one, feeling uncertain about the future, in good hands. Boy, that's a lot to digest here, Cindy. But uh, uh, dive in for us.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, and you know, I, I think for for our family, one of the most difficult things was we had a we had a really close relationship with our son Austin. And we did not have, um, you know, the strained relationships that some people have when a death occurs, and then they're processing all of that, and they, there's that guilt. And, but we did struggle, and I, I believe everyone who loses a loved one, they struggle with the what ifs. They struggle with the if only you know, what if we would have done this, or if only I would have done that, you know, this differently, and if only I would have treated my loved one better, you know, whatever those things are, um, there's a lot of, you know, it can be feelings of guilt, but, and we have just, we have found, I guess I would just say to the listener, you know, it's only after you are able to let go of those regrets, because each of us are broken individuals, each of us in the Because of events that have happened to us in our past, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can, and with what, how we are equipped. And but it's not until you are able to uh, find that forgiveness that you're able to find freedom. You know, you need to let go of the regret in order to find uh, that freedom that forgiveness is able to to bring to you. And so, I, I would just encourage you to. Um, you know, let go of that, even though we grow from our past, you know, experiences and and our regrets, we can become a stronger person through that. But I would just encourage to, you know, as our From Pain to Purpose book, it's it's a guidebook. And it's, it's very important to have that person, find a person who truly cares for you and have them help you process Uh, The book has different, you know, experiential sections. And so it's really written in a way so that you can experience with a a someone else, you know, and find that freedom of being able to let go of of the regrets that you have.
2: My guest, Cindy Mullet. We've got more with Cindy talking about her book, From Pain to Purpose. First, we have to take a break here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We will be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Cindy Mullet, uh,
2: the author of From Pain to Purpose, is our guest. She's in Brevard, North Carolina. And Cindy, let's go to Section 3. There is a purpose God wants to reveal. And then you've got two little uh, interesting little points. For what purpose? Question mark. Goodbye and hello. Uh, tell us more. Yes, you know,
3: I- as we were facing all the losses in our lives, there was a lot of um, a lot of questions and a lot of you know, why God questions. And you know, earlier on in my in my journey, you know after I became a christian I, I I felt like you know if I was serving God and I was in His will, that he's going to protect me from bad things and so when when all these things happened in our lives, i I really felt like. God had pre- betrayed me, and so my view of God really became um, shaken, and so I, I needed to go back to that, to those questions of, you know, God, why? Like, why are you allowing this to happen? And it's really been, I can truly say, you know, that as Job has said, he, he said, I have seen you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And I believe that's one of the things that God is wanting us to learn in our journey uh, through pain. And part of that, the the purposes is for him to reveal his presence to us, for us to be able to experience him in a very intimate way, to realize that Jesus weeps with us. He weeps with us when we are hurting. And so going to those places and, and trying to find, you know, God, what is your purpose? And God, you know, why is there so much suffering? And and for myself personally, you know, just coming back to the whole thing of realizing that God has created, he, he never intended for us to live in a fallen world. And because of God's, you know, God's sovereignty, but yet God has given free will. And so when these difficult things happen, It's not for us to blame God, which I think is a very normal part of the grieving process. Um, but it is for us to be able to realize, okay, it's because of man's free will, why they're suffering. And uh, sometimes it's, you know, it can be their suffering can happen from physical, um, experiences. It can be from emotional pain and the pain that others have caused us. Sometimes it's pain from our own choices, but not always. And so just being able to process all of that and to answer those questions, um, I think is very important.
2: Well, Cindy, now we need to move on. <clears throat> We're at section four and this is called other losses. Uh, the journey of recover from, recovery from other losses, loss of a job, loss of a mm-hmm. relationship due to divorce, loss following a natural disaster loss of physical health uh, loss due to sexual abuse uh, boy this is an important topic uh, Cindy i want mm-hmm. you to, i want you to explain it to us
3: yes uh, you know all of those losses are um, very very devastating and you know i've i've said from different times people will come up to me and they'll say you know i just can't imagine going through everything that you've experienced and you know, but I don't think God, God measures pain in that way. He knows how pain affects each of us. And sometimes, you know, especially some of the, you know, I think of the sexual abuse and all of that, that it is a very, very intense pain and what that does to a person. Um, But I think just recognizing being honest with where we're at being okay. I had to get to the place of being okay with not being okay. And so just just realizing that um the pain is there, it's intense, it's real, but yet finding out, having someone to walk with you, you know, and earlier in the book we talked about uh aloneness is one of the first was one of the first human crises that I believe happened in the Bible and where God, you know, he was saying all these things were good, but then when he that it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, I think it's important for us to take note of that and and so that that is why having someone to be able to comfort you um, in your in your journey of grief is very important. I think there's so many people in our world today who are really, really hurting with many, many intense losses and pain and it's just it's important for not only as we are going through our losses, for us also to recognize those around us who are struggling and are going through pain that we can still, in the midst of our own circumstances, our own brokenness, our own challenges, that we can still find those hurting individuals and that we can show the love of, of Jesus to them.
2: Cindy Mullet is our guest. Cindy, um, at the end of your book... Pain-to-Purpose Group Leader's Guide. Uh, What's that all about?
3: Yes, that that is, our book was intended to use, um, you can use it personally as you're going through a loss, through, you know, your own journey. Uh, You can use it one-on-one with an individual. Um, And, but then you can also, it's also intended to share, like to use in like a small group setting. And so having someone who is facilitating a group and as everyone is able to share, you know, their journeys and care for each other. And Dr. David Ferguson, who we just are so grateful for his, um, his assistance and his, his role in helping to write From Pain to Purpose, experiencing God and receiving the comfort of others is a very strong um, element that he brought. And so this guidebook the leader's guide is intended to for there to be community of people to be able to walk together, whether it's a small group uh, or whether it's just like two people together or even an individual um, is is how the book was intended to be used.
2: I want you to talk to us more about uh, prison ministry. I've been involved off Mm -hmm. and on with prison ministry for many years. How did you get into it and why why have you stayed with it and what have you learned and Mm -hmm. what do we all need? What do we need to know?
3: Yes. Well, my husband and I were married in 1991, and he had actually been uh, involved in the prison ministry before we were married. And he, from the time that uh, we started in a relationship, he shared with me, he said, you know, I really feel God has been calling me to reach out um, to the least of these. And he really had a calling on his life. And so when we got married, we we continued with a prison ministry focus, and um, then when our son Austin, you know, is five months old, when he was diagnosed with a heart condition, we were actually on a ministry trip at the time when we had just ministered at a prison in South Carolina. That afternoon, when that evening we he started breathing fast, and we ended up needing to take him into the emergency room. Um, but we we had just felt like you know that was the calling that we. would Felt God had placed in our hearts, and it wasn't until years later someone actually told us, they said, you know, you were ministering to the least of these, but only until you be- actually became one of the least of these were we able to understand the importance of walking with those who are hurting, and so we, we've continued as we've been able to, um, to go into prison, we've we've traveled, you know, across the U.S., Canada, we've been to Honduras, Mexico, and in churches and in prisons. But those behind bars are truly ones that are very, very dear to our heart, because as we've been able to, as I shared before, you know, pain is a universal language. And it was not until we started um, sharing our personal journeys that it was like, as we would share things, as we shared our personal journey, although it was different than for many of them in the prison system, they were able to identify with pain, and it was like the walls just came down. As we've been able to speak to them, we were able to share with the, the women on death row uh, in the state of Florida. The so warden had a family come in, and they locked down the compound, brought the women to a visitation room, and our, our youngest girls were, I think they were like four and six, and just seeing these women just weeping as we were able to sing and to share the love of Jesus with them. So our passion is, you know, there needs to be a, um, there needs to be consequences for choices, but many of them are truly, they're hurting and they're seeking. And so it's just been a a passion of our heart to be able to to bring Jesus into the men and women who are behind bars and to find that some of our greatest heroes, uh, heroes of the faith, are those who are serving life sentences behind bars. But they came to know the Lord, and their lives are forever changed through the power of the gospel. And so that is, yeah, that, that's a, it's definitely a passion of our hearts.
2: How do people get involved in prison ministry? Is, is it, is, is it uh, for everybody or a select few?
3: Well, I would say there's, You know, you definitely have to know that God is calling you to get involved. Um, There's many, many different ministries. And at one point, my husband was um, helping to facilitate. We would have, like, um, multiple, you know, prisons, like in Columbia, South Carolina, where there's multiple prisons in one area. And we would have an event, like a weekend event where we had volunteers coming from a lot of different states and going in. And so my husband would do like a, you know, a um, course like, you know, on how to um, prepare them for the prison ministry for a weekend event. And that has, for many people, they went home to their own state and they started getting involved locally, which has been a, a um, something has been very beneficial to people, and so I would say, you know, there's opportunities probably in your local area, even for your local jail ministry, and then being able to get involved with other ministries um, to see if you can come in and to and to help. But there's there's definitely many opportunities. There's many needs, and it truly is a a full you know a a blessing to be able to to share with those who are hurting. Uh, but there again, I you know. I, I would just encourage you to seek the Lord's face on that of whether he's calling you to, to get involved.
2: Cindy Mullet is our guest, uh, her book from pain to purpose, rediscovering joy after suffering a major loss. Cindy, what kind of feedback are you getting on your book?
3: Well, it's, it's fairly new yet, so it has not been out to a lot of people. Um, but we have heard back from individuals who I think of this one mom who lost her husband And he was, he was actually, it was through a homicide or a breakthrough in the house and he was shot. And Mm. it happened years ago and she's since remarried, but she just shared how, you know, she, she didn't realize there were some things, especially in the section of forgiving those, you know, her husband, about, you know, some, some past things that we all have, have struggles in our marriages and just the importance of letting go of some of those regrets. And so we're just we're really excited about uh what this will do for people and and hopefully just help them take them to a new level of healing so we're we're excited about that and so we're just yeah trusting God with that
2: Cindy, here at the end of our chat i I want you to talk uh, a little bit about forgiveness, why mm-hmm. it's important and uh, how we go about it.
3: Yes, you know there was a there's been I guess a couple doctors, I think of two specifically on our journey and with our son, Austin. And the, the one was very, very painful because he went against our wishes. And this doctor did sur- a surgery that he told us he would not do. And we were not able to prepare our son uh, for it. And, and it was very devastating, very difficult. And I was very, very angry with this doctor. My husband and I both were. And but we needed to come to the place of realizing, you know, forgiveness is not about setting this person free or saying that they were not in the wrong, but forgiveness is about setting ourselves free. And, you know, I think of where God says, you know, to forgive those, uh, He will forgive us as we forgive those who do us wrong. And so I believe the the enemy wants us to hang on to bitterness and anger and to not forgive, because he knows in that way, God cannot truly forgive us. And so I would just encourage the listener, you know, if someone has hurt you, if somebody has caused your loved one to suffer, if someone it is not about saying that you need to trust them or that you. You know, you're you're saying that they can go free. No, but what it is saying, it, it is letting go of that bitterness in your own heart.
2: My guest has been Cindy Mullet talking about her book, From Pain to Purpose. We've got more. We need to take a break here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, in that first segment,
2: Cindy Mullet uh, was our guest. And we had a good visit with Cindy. And uh, Hannah Stoles joins us. She's the Associate Professor of Marketing and Supply Chain Management at Wheaton College, the legendary Wheaton College on the suburbs of Chicago. She's a former U.S. Army import specialist. Her book, Wisdom-Based Business, Applying Biblical Principles and Evidence-Based Research for a Purposeful and Profitable Business. Hannah, welcome to Orlando. How are you?
4: Doing great. How are you?
2: What's the background of this book, Hannah?
4: Yeah, I um, I have a PhD in in business with a focus on logistics and marketing, and I'm a you know I'm a Christian. And when I went to Wheaton College, or as you say, the legendary Wheaton College, um, there's an expectation that we integrate faith into all of our curriculum and how we teach and lecture. And uh, there's a lot of really great Christian literature out there. Um, that tells stories of how CEOs have run companies. There's a lot out there um, on biblical perspectives of business, but there's not a lot out there that utilizes business research and really explores from a more generalizable kind of big picture view both of Scripture and what's actually happening in the marketplace. How, how does the Bible um, translate translate you know to our work every day and serving God, And the decisions we make in business, how do we love people while in business? And so the book was really an opportunity to write for my students and for, you know, my fellow Christians and thinking about what does it mean to really apply the Word of God to our whole lives if we're not called a full-time ministry, but we're called in the church, or maybe called a full-time ministry in the marketplace. So that was really the motivation behind the book.
2: You open your book uh, with a chapter called Why Wisdom? Why business? What are you writing there, Hannah?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Wisdom literature uh, in Scripture is actually the books of Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and some Psalms. And when you start digging into those books, and especially Proverbs and maybe Ecclesiastes, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs that love the book of Ecclesiastes, but uh, in Proverbs in particular, when it starts juxtaposing or comparing the wise and the foolish— I would say more than half of the examples are business examples. And so when you start thinking about like, why wisdom? Well, wisdom seems to be the literature or the scripture in the Bible that is most pointed and most directly informing people how to do business. And then when you think about it, when you get to the end of Proverbs 31 and you have this close, the 21 verse stanza that we usually think of, you know, the amazing domestic housewife kind of context, what we really find there is is a woman that's running a global business. And so I think if we're really going to think biblically about how we do our work, um, there's no books like the wisdom books to inform us. And it seems that wisdom is most active in the marketplace. So that answers your why wisdom. (laughs) And then, you know, kind of in turn, why business as well.
2: Let's move to topic two, the virtue of profit as the means to an eternal end case study service master. What's up?
4: Yeah. I think we sometimes think that either you know profit is the sole focus of business or you know we get afraid of profit. I think sometimes it's Christians, and um, it's the love of money that's the root of evil, not money. And really, when we dig into both Proverbs and Jesus' is teaching in the New Testament, we see that wealth itself isn't the problem. The problem isn't when wealth gets in the way of us serving God and loving people. And so when Jesus talks about the parable of the talents, The good and faithful servants are the ones that have profit, but the chapter finishes with those good and faithful servants knowing what to do with their profit. And so if we think about profit as a virtue, it's a virtue that enables us to have resources to care for and love others really well. So profit is an essential resource that we need to serve God, for sure.
2: Now, I want you to move to this topic, the foundation of servant leadership. Case study, container store.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you think about any strategy, anything that's going to get done in a company, if the leadership doesn't do it, nobody else will. And so anything you think about in terms of business strategy or orientation um, has to start with the leader. And one of the things that I did throughout the book is really saying the things that the Bible teaches us to do in business are actually best practice in business today whether you're a Christian or not. And so I love using the Container Store as an example because they're not an overtly Christian company. I'm not saying they don't have any biblical values, but, um, you know, that's not their goal. And they definitely have this foundation of understanding that leadership is going to set the standard for how every other employee shows up at work. And in the, the book by Tyndall, um, the, the founding CEO of Container Store, he talks a lot about Loving as employees, loving people. They use the terminology of conscious leadership, but it's really focused on how does leadership really facilitate an environment and a culture where employees are blessed because they show up at work every day? And I think that's something as Christians that we should pursue. And Jesus was certainly a servant leader as well.
2: My guest is Hannah Stoles. her book, Wisdom Based Business. Anna, tell us about the Orientations of Wisdom case study Yili group. What's that about?
4: Right. So orientations are an academic term that describe the philosophy of a company or the strategies of a company. So when you think about orientation, like, you know, being oriented on your path or being oriented towards your goals, um, an orientation is basically what are the fundamental strategies? Why is your firm in business? And I love the example of the Yili Company. It's a Chinese, one of the, it's actually might be the largest dairy company in the world. You know, none of us have heard of it. But um Yealy Company really pivoted and started becoming strategic, coming out of the melanine tragedies kind of in, in China. So um, some of the dairy companies put too much melanine in their product, it was, it was actually causing deaths. And Yili said, wow, we really need to have the best quality product in the marketplace if we're going to compete and, uh, you know, have a competitive advantage. And it's interesting. I look at Yili's journey in the book and how as they grow, you know, as you grow and you're entrusted with more, there's more responsibility that comes with it and how their strategies um, evolve and grow and kind of get this kind of, you um, we we'll call it like a bouquet of orientations or strategies that they end up with that really matches what most, you know, I would say top 50, top 100 companies, Fortune 500, uh, are really practicing today. If you want to be a leader in your industry, um, there are specific strategies that show up in leading companies. And so Yuli Group is a great example of how that can evolve within one company example.
2: Anna, <clears throat> take us now to... The next topic, it's called Stakeholder Orientation, and your case study is The Giving Keys. Mm-hmm. What's up?
4: Yeah, I, I think it's important. You know, we, we all know and we go to Sunday school and church, we talk a lot about, you know, loving, loving others. And loving our neighbor as ourself, or, you know, Jesus brings that final challenge of love others as I have loved you and um, And yet, sometimes we can go into business and into the marketplace and think, "Well, the only thing I'm here for and the only person I'm here to love is my shareholder." And really, the stakeholder um, theory and stakeholder orientation it says there are a lot of people that are impacted by your company. And it's a secular you know view of the firm. so I'm not saying you know that stakeholder theory is is Bible by any means, but we are definitely called to love people well. So I think it's important that we understand the people that are being impacted positively or negatively by the work of our company. And I love the example of the giving keys. I wanted to use examples of both small companies like the giving key and then large companies like Neely Group or Unilever. And the giving keys is unique because they don't exist to create shareholder wealth. They actually exist to create opportunities for homeless people to gain skills and have the opportunity to build their own wealth, to build their own you know, resources so they can get off the streets and into housing and into steady jobs. And I love the example of the Giving Keys because it shows how a company can be profitable and can be strategic and competitive and really start a movement with a sole goal, not just of, of creating wealth, which they do need to be profitable, but their real focus is on people and specifically their employees and how their company helps their employees to grow and have opportunities. To be beyond just the giving keys.
2: Now, <clears throat> just a reminder that our guest is Hannah Stoles. She's at Wheaton College, and we're talking about her book, Wisdom-Based Business. Uh, Hannah, how about long-term orientation? And your case study is Admont Abbey.
4: Yeah, I love this, the story of Admont Abbey. Um, and actually, when I started doing research about, you know, companies that have long-term orientations, they are... So well studied. There's multiple Harvard business cases on Admont Abbey. And the reason that I look at long-term orientation, uh, I don't, you know, if, if you read, Larry thinks stuff that comes out of BlackRock or McKinsey reports, um, there's kind of a short-termism crisis in the West. So I always say the U.S. in particular, where we have kind of scrunched our timelines down to three-month quarterly perspective and the research by McKinsey actually demonstrates that firms that have a long-term perspective are actually more financially viable have better investment in R&D they're a better investment opportunity in terms of ROI and so there's this important thing that we need to learn about having a long-term orientation and Admont Abbey is so unique it is actually a monastery um, in in Europe in in Austria and the monks there realized, yeah, we can we can serve the community and this is a thousand years ago. So we can serve our community, you know, in, in spiritual growth, but what people really need is jobs. And, you know, if they're gonna show up and be able to listen to scripture and the teachings of the monks and priests, they need to have full bellies and roofs over their heads. And so they created a, a construction company. They owned a bunch of forests and a thousand years ago they created a, a lumber company and they started creating um, doors and different um, wood products, and they are one of the unique companies in the world today that has been profitably in business for a thousand years. And I love that example of Admont Abbey because their goal wasn't to maximize wealth. Their goal was to serve their community, and they created a, a wildly successful company that has remained economically viable for not just you know centuries, but a millennia. And that's that's a pretty amazing story to tell. Not all companies are going to have a millennia story, but it certainly is an example that it is possible.
2: My, my guest is Hannah Stoles. We're talking about her book, Wisdom-Based Business. Uh, we have another segment with Hannah, so stay with us here. And when we return, the next topic up for Hannah is uh, quality orientation. And the case study is I have a bean. Well, folks, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: You're plugged in here to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And, of course, it's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word, in Orlando. And before I forget it, uh, just a reminder, my latest book is out. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. And we, we go back to the Revolutionary War period, and we highlight 25 leaders during that vital time in world history. And we study them as leaders and and what we can learn about leadership from them. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Brian Kilmeade of Fox and Friends wrote the foreword. So when you're up ordering a copy of Hannah Stoll's wisdom-based business, go ahead and grab a copy of Revolutionary Leadership as well, and you'll be in for a couple of good reads. Well, Hannah, as advertised, quality orientation, case study, I have a bean. What can you tell us?
4: I think there's a a great case study, and I have a bean as a company that produces and creates coffee. They're actually located in in Wheaton, um, in the Chicago suburbs, and they produce coffee that uses only the top 1% of beans. So they're sourcing the very, very best beans, coffee beans, that they can globally. And it's an interesting model. Uh, Pete Leonard and his story is in the book. You can read all of it. But he really built the company around two different things. One was his love of coffee, and the other was his love of people. And realizing that um, there was a huge need. A, you know, we're in a labor crisis right now. We're in the middle of the great resignation. And it's harder and harder to find skilled workers and, you know, any any kind of worker. And Pete needed really skilled workers. And he was having a really hard time finding people. And the only person he could find was actually um, his brother-in-law, who had – a felony record, so he had served his time and he was out. And he hired him, and he was very efficient. Got the Work done really quickly, um, and was really skilled. And he ran into some challenges with his his uh, payroll company, and and they were you know refused to pay uh, an ex felon on his on his payroll. And so he realized there's this whole you know group of people out there who has served their time. They've you know fulfilled the you know the penalty I guess of of whatever crime. And they're coming back into, you know, society and, and they have skill sets and they are, they're quality people that can be restored and redeemed and reestablished in society, but they don't have the opportunity. And so he actually created a company about around the, the top 1% of coffee beans in terms of quality, but also providing opportunities for people that are highly skilled with, you know, great skill sets, but maybe don't have the opportunities in, in the marketplace because of mistakes they've made in the past. So I love the story of I Have a Bean, both in terms of calling out the quality in your product, but also um, finding and uncovering the golden people, which is definitely the story of I Have a Bean. And I think there is this expectation today that if you're going to compete and stay competitive, uh, you need to deliver on the promise to your customer. And you do this by understanding the quality expectations your customer has of your company. So if you set your quality expectations, um, they need to match your price point and your brand messaging. And this is a hugely important thing for companies to be successful. Um, also is a pretty predominant thing in throughout scripture as well. When we look at wisdom literature, um, the products that get sold in the market, they should be fairly priced. The quality should match the promise to the customer. And these are all things you can read about in Proverbs. So it seems as though, you know, 3,000 years ago, Proverbs set this up for best practice, business practices today.
2: Hannah Stoles is our guest. And now, Hannah... What is supply chain orientation and your case study of Unilever?
4: Yeah, this is a, a big topic today, Pat. We're hearing a lot more about supply chain management in the last two years than we probably have in the last 20. Um, and it's, it's not all toilet paper and pharmaceutical products, uh, fortunately for me, because um, I do teach supply chain classes. And um, when we think about supply chain strategy, there's a lot of times with with some of these strategies, there's a temptation to think I'll have a supply chain strategy when I'm a really large firm or when I'm a bigger player in the supply chain. And really all a supply chain is, is a company that fits with between two other companies. So whether it's a manufacturer that's buying raw materials and then selling to a retailer or a retailer that's buying from the manufacturer and selling in the marketplace. And even if you're in the service industry, if your client is a business, you're part of a supply chain. And so, supply chain orientation, you know, is the ability to understand where your raw materials are coming from and who your customer is, as well, so that you can who your customer is, as well, so that you can always align your demand with your supply. And Unilever is a great example of a company that has done this for 100 plus years. They've done it globally. They've made mistakes, but they are definitely a leader in terms of supply chain management. Globally today, so they're in the top ten. I think they're supply chain champions, um, categorized by uh, Deloitte. And um, this is a company that has really established a clear understanding of how to forecast demand and understand, you know, what their customers are going to want in the marketplace, and then how to source that demand. And you know, Unilever started out making soap, and so you know, initially it was how do we get enough. Um, you know, large make soap, and then they moved to palm oil, and now they've moved to, you know, sustainable sourcing of oils. And how do we source the products that we need or the raw materials so we can create the product we're selling in the marketplace? And anymore, you know, most of the products, if we're in the US, come from somewhere else in the world. And uh, definitely supply chain management is a challenge today based on COVID and, and a lot of things that's happened globally in the last four years. And if you want to be competitive in business, you need to understand not just who your customer is, but who your suppliers are and what their capacity is as well.
2: Hannah, I want you to talk about sustainability orientation, and your case study is telling you this. What, what's up here?
4: I think sustainability is one of those, it, you know, things that we get, we get caught up in and thinking it's environmental sustainability alone or it's just greenwashing. And sustainability is is triple bottom line. So it looks at how financially viable is your company over time, how environmentally viable is it. You do need raw materials and natural resources for most companies to exist, even if it's just the computers that help you get your work done every day. And there is also a social impact that is important for firms to pay attention to. So when we think about social sustainability, a lot of leading companies do employee engagement surveys and things like that. Um, but, you know, as I set up in the stakeholder chapter, there's multiple people that are impacted by the company. And so it's important for organizations, for companies, nonprofits, and for profits to understand the social impact and how sustainable their workforce is, how sustainable their customer base is, and how sustainable their suppliers are to stay viable long term. Love the example of Salunas with the a small eco resort in Indonesia I had the opportunity to go and visit. highly recommend it if you're ever in Singapore, take a couple extra days and visit Tolinas. and they really built the eco resort in the Rio um, sorry in the Riau Island <laughs> off the coast of Sumatra and their goal was not just to build an amazing five star resort experience but to also provide economic development opportunities for Uh, you know, local island um, people, both in terms of employment, as well as in projects that people in the resorts could do in the villages. So it's created um, infrastructure for water and wells. It's created infrastructure for roads. And um, it's actually transformed a lot of the Riau Islands um, based on really what the employees have learned, um, being trained through the 20th system, as well as, you know, the impact of some of the visitors that have come in And, you know, gotten to lay on the beach quite a bit, but also get to, you know, when they get bored, can go into the villages and um, do some service as well. So a really interesting model of thinking about how does your organization exist within, um, you know, being profitable, but also interacting with natural resources and, you know, being on islands. There's a lot of different challenges that are unique to Indonesia. And then also impacting people, both employees and the communities around them, in a way that's positive, and creates opportunities for people to flourish, to be honest. Um, so it's a pretty amazing company. Look up to Lunas, if nothing else, but um, even better, you know, think through, if you're in business, how can you be sustainable both in terms of your financial impact, but also the impact on people and this, uh, this world that God created and gave us to steward as well.
2: The name of the book, Wisdom-Based Business, the author, Hannah Stolls. Hannah, what about reputation in your case study? The ever popular Chipotle. <laughs>
4: yeah, reputation is uh, so key. I think I could have also called this this chapter branding. You know, reputation and your brand are pretty similar. And I love the example of Chipotle. I think sometimes when we think about reputation, um, we think that our reputation has to be perfect, and at the end of the day, our reputation doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be. Authentic. And I love how Chipotle built out their brand, massively messed up, you know, gave a bunch of people E. coli, free poisoning, all of those sorts of things. And when that happened, they owned it. They demonstrated how they were fixing it. And then they created a restaurant retail environment that actually, I think, made people even more confident than they were before the E. coli and salmonella outbreaks before. And so this is an amazing example of building your reputation through authenticity and a really, you know, Sunday school example of um, be quick to repent, be quick to fix your, you know, to own it when you mess up and to fix it and move on doing the right thing. And I love this example of Chipotle because I think, you know, if you're if you're struggling with your, your branding or trying to figure out um, how to build your reputation, it, it's really important to own the best things about what your company is about and, your product and the work that you do, and realize that you are going to have missteps in business, whether it's your suppliers or something that happens with your customers. Um, but being authentic with your brand and owning those missteps actually doesn't just repair your brand, um, you know, your brand equity or your your customers' brand loyalty. If you own it and fix it, it actually builds customer brand. Um, loyalty beyond where it was before the mistakes happened, which I think is a pretty cool story of, uh, you know, the power of repentance.
2: (laughs) Now, Hannah, let's get to topic 11. It's called comparative advantage, and your case study is Trader Joe's.
4: Yeah, I think comparative advantage, it gives us an opportunity to think about how we can exist and be profitable in the marketplace in a with a language that isn't just competitive advantage. And I think we do compete, right? Obviously, you're competing in the marketplace. The challenge with the competitive mindset is that once you move into a competitive mindset, there's winners and losers. And Trader Joe's is a great example of a retail company that emerged in a really competitive industry. Retail and especially grocery retail is highly competitive. You have razor thin margins. It's a really hard space to really differentiate. You know, you're all selling lettuce and crackers and milk and eggs and all of those sorts of things that people need for their basic pantry staples. And Trader Joe's, you know, uh, Joe Quamba, who started Trader Joe's, recognized uh, a unique opportunity in the marketplace that other grocery stores weren't needing. And so he, he recognized after, especially after World War II, um, a lot of people were coming back to the States. They were using their GI Bill to get educated. So um, there were much more educated people in the U.S. than ever in history. And there were also a lot of educated people that now had fancy tastes, and we call it, you know, bougie. I think that's what the younger generation says, you know, the high-class taste, but didn't necessarily have the paychecks to afford, you know, uh, whole foods. And so Trader Joe's was the happy medium of, you know, kind of exotic, um, uniquely sourced foods, but at reasonable prices for your overeducated, underpaid uh, citizens of America. And I love the example of Trader Joe's because they actually, maybe they stole, you know, customers from other retailers, but they actually were so niche and they created in such a unique space that, um, you know, I, you know, a lot of people still shop at Trader Joe's and, you know, their Publix or Kroger or not sure what, you know, where you shop in Florida, probably Publix, but, uh, you know, it created a really unique space in the marketplace. And I I like this way of thinking about comparative advantage because it it seems really biblical that we sit and think, what has God uniquely gifted me in? What can I bring to the marketplace that is unlike anyone else? And we talk about this in business strategy. We call it differentiation. But it's it's even more than that, it's not just differentiating, you know, at the the cost of customers or competitors. It's actually saying, how am I differentiated uniquely to bring – more value into the marketplace in a unique way. And, it, you know, there's a lot of research that actually looks at coopetition, where, where competitors work together, and demonstrates that just having a competitive, like, you know, win-lose mindset um, might actually uh, sign growth and keep companies from getting larger. And so it's, it's one of those huge challenges of, of how do you grow, how do you stay shrewd and savvy? There are other companies that aren't going to compete this way. But understand what your core competency is, what you're uniquely gifted at as a company, and really bring value to the marketplace. Hannah
2: Stolls has been our guest, author of Wisdom-Based Business. We've got a one-minute wrap-up right after this. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, in that first segment, Cindy Mullet was with us. We enjoyed talking with Cindy. And then Hannah Stoles came from Wheaton, Illinois, and we talked about her book, Wisdom-Based Business. Folks, I just want to remind you, we are working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. Orlando is now the 17th largest media market in America and growing and ready to be a Major League Baseball city. So I want you to go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com. OrlandoDreamers.com. And just register. Just tell us. Yeah, great idea. Season tickets, yeah, that would be pretty cool if this all works. So uh, just take care of that. In the meantime, have a wonderful week ahead. And we'll be around next weekend for more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a terrific week ahead. We'll see you next weekend.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word